Some of Australia's prime coastal communities will cop the brunt of worsening natural disasters with storm surges, coastal erosion and flood events expected to cost $9 billion a year in New South Wales alone by the year 2060. Now, new analysis from the New South Wales Reconstruction Authority has singled out Sydney's northern beaches and the north coast town of Byron Bay as particularly vulnerable. The disaster scenarios form part of the authority's inaugural state disaster mitigation plan intended to give councils a fighting chance against some of these threats if they act straight away. Professor Paula Jarzabukowski is a disaster insurance expert from the University of Queensland. Professor, what are the disaster scenarios detailed by the Reconstruction Authority? Exactly what are they predicting? Okay, so they are showing a range of hazards, including uh, things like fire. But I think the uh, worrying thing for some of us is that they're also showing that coastal erosion and the kind of storm surge. So we know about flood, but the way that that might be uh, going uh, alongside storm surge and coastal erosion is really going to change some of those lovely beachside communities we love to live at. Yeah, so Byron Bay, Sydney's northern beaches, is there a common... Uh, thread between those two, apart from perhaps development close to the coastline? Uh, I think that you'll find the development close to the coastline is an issue. I mean, it's um, important, of course, to focus on those high value areas where we've got a lot of population density and high value assets. But I think the report also does reflect that some of our other vulnerable communities in those lovely little beachside towns that we love to visit on holidays are also under threat. I know that coastal erosion has been a big, big issue and headache, certainly for many uh, Queensland local government areas. This issue of potential uninsurability being a pretty real threat. Uh, what, what can be done when you've got some of these communities becoming uninsurable? I mean, it, it has a ripple effect throughout all of the community's functions, you'd imagine. Absolutely, because if you can't get insurance, you ultimately can't get a mortgage, you can't get credit. And we want both householders to be able to stay living uh, in places where they can get a mortgage. And we want businesses to be able to get lending so that we have, you know, the small businesses that make it pleasant to be in a community because you can go to the yoga studio and to the cafe. So when we lose insurance, we lose um, our ability to reconstruct and recover from disaster. But we also lose a lot of uh, what our communities are made up of, which were all those you know, small businesses and things that make them pleasant. Um, in terms of what can be done, so I think there's two very positive things that are going on here in the, um, you know, the latest disaster risk mitigation plan from New South Wales, and I'm hoping that we see that spread more widely around Australia. So one of these is a proactive uh, risk mitigation going forward. So instead of us always just fixing things up after the disaster, we're saying we know it's coming, can we limit the loss And that can be done by changing some of the infrastructure around. It can be done by improving some of the natural environment rather than always putting lots of runoff and uh, things into areas. And it can be done by also planning for uh, changing the way we build, so retrofitting houses, raising houses, that's going on, Um, and also changing where we're going to build, stopping allowing development in places we already know aren't sustainable. Even if we do all this really, really quickly, and that's going to cost a lot of money, as you know, it takes a long time to rebuild and to move people and to change things, we're going to need to keep people insured while we uh, wait, if you like, because we still want them to have, you know, credit, mortgage, money to recover, um, just even the things like you can't access other finance if you don't have insurance. And for that, we're going to need public-private collaboration, risk pooling, 
between the governments, you know, the state and federal governments and the insurance, the private sector. Uh, it's It's got to a stage where we can't just leave this in private sector hands and hope that the lucky people can afford a big insurance premium. Let's talk about an example of a public-private mechanism. Um, we have a cyclone pool. Tell me about the cyclone pool. So the cyclone pool, I think, is a very positive indicator for Australia. It still needs a lot of work to work the way we'd hope. But, you know, we've known for a very long time that people up north, uh, and that's, you know, in northern Australia, they've struggled to get insurance for Cyclone. And this is problematic because for Cyclone, there is actually a lot you can do to change the risk in the way you build. So even with risk mitigation, they haven't been able to get cover. The Cyclone pool um, is a reinsurance pool that's operated by the federal government and the insurers pay into that. And when they offer Cyclone insurance, they transfer that portion to the federal government's pool the cyclone pool, which means they're not having to buy reinsurance on the lo- on the global market where it's quite expensive. It is reducing cost a bit. Um, it's got it's only just started, and it really does need probably a bit more of consideration if it's going to reduce costs significantly. If you've just joined me, Professor Paula Jarzabkowski is here from the University of Queensland. We're talking about natural disasters and particularly uh, mitigations that can happen uh, before before disaster strikes here on RN Drive. So, if the damages for natural disasters could be as high as nine point one billion per year by twenty sixty. What else can governments do to prevent such a big bill? I mean, you talked about some of these mechanisms, if you like. I'm particularly interested in the politics of asking or even requiring some people to to not live in some of these high-risk areas. How achievable is that? Uh, Yeah, I think there's going to need to be a lot of community consultation and engagement in that to understand what it's going to take for some people to feel. At the moment, if we want to move people, uh, we do have a buyback scheme, for example, that's going already in New South Wales and in Queensland, but people have to have somewhere to go. So we do have to understand that that's got to be accompanied by some pretty concentrated, joined-up government planning where people will go. Um, because if you buy someone back but they've got nowhere else to buy, then they might end up more vulnerable. We don't want to see them ending up in a caravan somewhere. Um, so that's one of the things that you'll have to do, reassure people that there's somewhere else to go and that those places are good communities to live in. Uh, the second thing I think is that this is going to take time to move everybody and some places, you know, they're not long-term viable but maybe they're medium-term viable. What nature-based measures can we use to help slow the progression of the damage, and how can we help people to live in those places? So one of the things we're also seeing is retrofit. That's changing the inside of the house so it'll be quicker to clean up afterwards. And, you know, maybe some of those people can make the decision to live with repeat disaster if they can lower the loss and speed the cleanup and getting back inside. Yeah, there's uh, mechanisms uh, in terms of interior design to allow the cleanup to be uh, much quicker and faster. It's an interesting one. After the Lismore floods, people were cladding their homes in- internally with aluminium, which is obviously easy to clean, but terrible in the summer. So lots to consider when it comes to uh, both uh, policy mechanisms and design and planning choices when it comes to these natural disasters. Professor Paula Jarzabkowski is a disaster insurance expert from the University of Queensland. Great to talk to you. Thanks very much for having me. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.